0: All right, Christopher here. Welcome to Do Explain. Before we begin, I'd like to thank my current supporters who inspire me to carry on with this project and make it financially viable as well. I'm very grateful to all of you. Big hugs. And while I'm not in the business of telling people what to do, I can't share my vision for Do Explain going forward. I like to work on the podcast full time instead of just a few days a month. I want to build a real platform for the fun and friendly exchange of interesting ideas. And I want to do it ad-free, if possible. Because I don't want any ideas to be off-limits for us to explore. And I also want to keep saying dumb shit without repercussions. But to do this, I'll need a steady income. And that's why I need your help. So if you enjoy what I'm doing here, and you want to join me in my vision and become a part of growing this project, consider going over to patreon.com slash and sign up to become a monthly supporter. All right. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello. Yeah. Um. Hi. do Do you have Charlie there? Uh, uh, sure. One moment, please. Charlie, I think it's
1: Christopher
0: again. I don't want to
1: talk
0: to him. Oh, She's um, busy right now. she's um. He's making us oxes for breakfast. Um is, is he uh, still pissed about that fucking golem thing? Come on, man. Come uh, on, put him on the phone. Fuck uh, come on, ox okay. um he really wants to talk to you. He
1: says you might be pissed about the golem thing. What's that about? Uh, don't worry about it. let me talk to him.
0: What? What do you want? Hey, yo dude, come I mean, yeah, I, 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 I know what I said. I know you got butt hurt <sighs> about it and Okay, I just, okay, sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, that was, I, I, I really meant it. You look practically the hey, same. Okay, can we move the on hell? now? What What? All right, so I'm back with the one and only legendary Hermes of Reason, everybody. Oh, it's not How Golem doing, of Reason friend? now? It's not
1: Golem of Reason now? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I thought, I thought it was Golem of Reason now. No, I'm doing good, man. How are you? Yeah, the skid
0: is over, dude. <laughs> the skid is over. Drop it. Uh, yeah. uh no, I'm good. I'm doing I'm doing great. I um yeah, we cool. haven't talked in a while just like last time. And um with the new decade and all, maybe we should catch up a little bit before we jump into it. So, um yeah, what have you been thinking about lately? How's the new decade been for you?
1: Good. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm actually um so were you ever a basketball fan? I'm actually pretty bummed out about the whole Kobe Bryant thing. Are you I don't know if we've even talked about that yet. No, no, I uh, Do you even know who that is? <laughs> yeah, fucking sweetest. Uh, yeah, I
0: do know who it is, but uh-huh. but uh but, but barely. I okay, uh, yeah. I know nothing about basketball, but uh, I mean it's a tragic story.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, no, I mean I'm I'm from LA and uh and I'm not even that big of a sports fan, but like whenever the Lakers have been really good, I've become a Laker fan and that's that you know that's been like really fun and um I don't know. I, I just kind of wanted to dedicate a moment of this episode I guess to to Kobe because uh the guy was kind of um greatness incarnate for what he did and one actually one thing that might be interesting to bring up because we've talked about things like willpower on the podcast and you had your episode with Luli mm-hmm. where that was also brought up and um Kobe seems to be or sorry seemed to be a really kind of pro willpower guy like he had this whole thing of like and I think he said something as gnarly as um if you're lazy like don't be around me. I don't want I don't want to catch that from you. <laughs> like he was like super hardcore about being really dedicated to what he did and becoming great at that.
0: But do you really think that has to do with d- does that necessarily have to entail willpower because I feel like you you can be lazy um that doesn't or or rather the other way around you can be uh, passionate and inspiring and hardworking without using any willpower per se in the yeah. the negative sense of coercing yourself, no, right? Exactly. I can feel that myself. I know that you've talked about that before um, after coming back from the Landmark Forum that, yeah, you, you kind of know what you want, but you don't know how to get yourself to do it. And it doesn't have to entail not having willpower or not wanting to do it, but sometimes you just have mistaken ideas about what you want and things like that. I mean, I can can feel... Tired sometimes when we're supposed to record because, fun fact for the audience, we always record my evening, Charlie's morning, because of two things. The first thing is I'm tired and not as intellectually savvy, so so Charlie can get the upper hand and look better. And then the second thing is that <laughs> he's afraid of my morning voice because it's really dark and deep and uh, <laughs> emasculating. So. It's horrifying. We know this.
1: Yeah. Um- yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it makes me look like the stoppable beta instead of the unstoppable beta, but, um, uh, but I think Kobe understood that there is a thing for everybody, namely some kind of problem situation. Of course he wouldn't put it in that way. Like the willpower thing that we normally think of it as is like, it's something that you don't really want to do and yet you force yourself to do it. But I think what Kobe was talking about, he called it his mamba mentality. He called himself the black mamba cause he was really vicious and really competitive He even had, like, this face where, like, he showed all his teeth and stuff. But um, uh, I I think that what the idea there is though, is that he's basically saying pursue the thing that really is most interesting to you to the ends of the earth. You know, don't ever quit doing that thing. But I think I, you know, I sort of what you were saying there and what we've talked about before is that it's actually pretty uncommon for people to know fully and truly what their most interesting problem situation, in our jargon, is what what their real p- deepest passions are. And um, but I think yeah, Kobe's message was about once you've accessed that, which cl- he clearly did, because he was and and talk about knowledge too. The guy was. An insane wealth of knowledge for basketball, but yeah, I, I kind of wanted to just <laughs> briefly touch on uh, Kobe, rest in peace, and um, uh, yeah, man, that, uh, what a tragedy too. I mean, in, in regard to death as well, it's it's one of those things. When I even heard Sam Harris say on his recent uh, episode with Paul Bloom, uh, mention how you know when a big cultural figure such as Kobe dies, it almost wakes you up. In a way that a close family member might wake you up to the, um, I think he, Sam Harris might have called it a death denial, and I totally think death denial is is a real thing. Like I, I, I believe you agree that that death is like a tremendous hurdle and problem, and it's actually this thing that we are so accustomed to kind of just accepting as the way things are. When in fact, it's it's like once we actually solve the problem and people are no longer dying. People are going to look back and like, oh, my God, like people were just accepting the fact that that was the situation, that people just kept dying and everybody just thought that was the way things are.
0: No, that's uh, that's a really interesting question because I, I remember someone on Twitter uh, reached out once and said that they had lost a close family member and wondered how to approach and think about death as a uh, Deutsche and Popperian because it seems to make death more tragic. Yes. Since we know what a creative mind can be capable of and what you just mentioned there that we could traverse death. It's just a matter of having the requisite knowledge. So that's nothing. That's not something I've thought that much about. But do you have any intuitions there on how to think about death until we actually find a way to solve it?
1: Well... Um, from the optimist perspective, you know, make progress quickly. <laughs> uh, I mean, if anything, if it if it does, if if Deutchian philosophy, so to speak, does waken us up to the, how horrible death really is um, and suffering really is, then yeah, I think that just kind of the implication there is let's let's fucking work at it because I mean, once once we solve these problems, it's kind of mind-boggling to think of what it's going to look like on the other side. It's very difficult to imagine what a world without suffering and death will look like. I know suffering is maybe sort of a slightly different thing there, but yeah, but with death, um, death is like a very specific, you know, it's the permanent end of uh, a creative life.
0: Yeah, but you're you're dodging the question here because <laughs> yeah. I agree with you that that's what we should try to do, but let's say you're a person who... <clears throat> Who has a terminal illness right now, and even though the future is unpredictable, it looks like you're going to die in five years. Yeah. Or let's say you're a family member to such a person. Um, and I'm asking you knowing full well that you're not a licensed psychiatrist or, or psychologist, but how, how, how would you approach that personally, you think, if that was you in that situation? Either as the, the diee or as the person who is uh, the die. related.
1: The you said the die yeah. um let's see yeah i just
0: made made up that word
1: <laughs> uh yeah so i mean it's actually often the case i don't know how often per se but you know there there is this phenomenon of people being diagnosed with a terminal illness and then kind of awakening to their so-called life purpose or something to their most interesting problem situation so there is that um and and again i i, th- I think what if if we're not the one dying then um I, I, like I said, like I think we should sort of take it in that way that like you know make progress quickly, which means you know let's get in touch with our our best lives and live lives to the fullest, or like live our lives to the fullest. And that's definitely not you know that's a very kind of common idea. It's not uh you know you don't need to be Deutschen for that. I, I don't know, man. I, I yeah, I don't know a good answer for that really. I guess uh, if you're looking for something slightly different than what I'm already saying, but uh, because. Yeah, it's horrible. It's just so bad. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, and yeah, no,
0: yeah. I mean, it is. But at the at the same point, you made a good point there about knowing that we're going to die, and I think most people, myself included, is uh, fairly um, ignorant about that fact, even though we know in theory. You don't really think that you are going to die. It's hard to wrap your head around that, and I, and I think that in situations like these, where you get uh, served this surprise out of nowhere, perhaps where it's like, okay, you have cancer, you're not going to live that long, it can really force you to look at your life and and uh, make the best of it. Which I think the, but uh, with the caveat that it could also do the opposite. You can spiral into depression and and, and make the least out of your life. But yeah, right. I. I do think that what we uh, were aiming to talk about next, anyway, uh, the topic of meditation, could be a good way to um, really do what you said there. To to yeah, it's a cliche, but live in the moment. You know, if you're not thinking about dying, and instead you're 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 trying to solve your most interesting problems into the end, and then when you die, you die. I genuinely think that's the best way to go about it. And for people who are um have lost people near to them i mean that's, that's horrible and you have you have to make room to grieve i would suppose but i think the best thing you can do there too is to try to find ways to to keep being creative growing the knowledge of the world trying to help people in any way you can to 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 grow our common knowledge understand the world so we can avoid this as much as possible i mean it's generic advice perhaps but
1: we, yeah, yeah, so I, I think that some people listening to this, because I think it's a fairly common notion, although I don't think it is at all uh, what I would think of as Popperian, but uh, the idea that uh, death is what gives life meaning. But I, I think that's – I basically couldn't disagree with that more um, because I think that yeah. what gives life meaning <laughs> is these moments of living. You know, that's – I mean, yeah. and, and, and that's where our creativity comes into play. It It is on us in these moments of living – to create meaning in the world.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if it's actually the case that... Because the reason I'm having a good time when we're doing these things is I'm, I'm completely immersed in what we're trying to do here. And I'm not... Maybe you could argue that I implicitly somewhere know that I'm mortal and I'm going to die someday. But I, I think that's a misunderstanding that you need death to make life meaningful. Just like you said, I think that... It can be that, like that for some people, that, that that makes them realize the, the, the marvels of actually being alive, pondering not being alive. But I think you can definitely get there without the threat of death. And that's what we should aim for.
1: It's way better to get to anywhere without any kind of threat. (laughs) I would definitely say. But like, you know, you can can have a
0: a, ultimate coercion.
1: You can have like a sort of quasi example though where you have somebody like Aubrey de Grey, um, the head of I think it's called SENS Research or something and and he is working on human senescence as a problem. So so human physical decay, right? And and he he will f- he's trying to fix that issue which kind of is like ultimately the thing that that causes death in in many cases. And you could say that, you know, in, in a weird quasi way as I said that, you know, death kind of gives meaning to his life because his most interesting problem situation, at least right now and and has been, is solving that problem. But it's not like yeah. you know that that death gives but not him, in a fundamental way. Right? Well, yeah, It not in a in a way that that his well. Yeah, the the, the point is to, to his problem situation. The pro, the, yeah, the the point yeah. for him is to eradicate death, not to just find ways of accepting it. Because I think the most most common intuition of death gives life meaning is a way of accepting the reality of death, and I, I think that that is actually probably one of the more damaging, those seemingly benign and, and potentially useful in some situations. Uh, way of thinking. I I think it, yeah, death denial, again, I think as as Sam Harris called it, maybe he got it from somebody else, but death denial is a real thing and we should stop it. Stop it. Stop denying it and like actually work on it.
0: Yeah, for sure. But so uh, this made me think of studies on psychedelics where they have uh, had fairly good results on reducing death anxiety for patients. And I'm curious to know then, what do you think of As far as I understand it, the, the stories they tell is that they somehow felt more connected to everything. You know, the classic trope of, I, yeah, you know, consciousness transcends the body. This is how it feels, I suppose. It transcends the body and it transcends individuality. And you just felt like there's something deeper to you that death cannot destroy or, or, and that made them feel much better. And. Then they die feeling much better. Do you, I? I personally don't think those experiences actually tell you that. I don't think that's a valid um, inference. That's empiricist, as we know, as we have critiqued. But do you think that's a a valid thing to do to to soothe the minds of of dying souls? Or um, yeah, do, do you get my question?
1: So yeah, because I think that what's actually happening there is. You know, the reality of death is different from the worry of death. So I think, you know, another way of, of, uh, translating, uh, letting go of the fear of death is embracing risk taking, as it were, or something. And I think that mm. risk taking is 100% necessary for optimism and, and creativity to live fully, uh, or to be expressed fully. So yeah, I, I think that, Everybody has their own very uniquely individual problem situation. And so whatever it was for the terminal uh, patient who had a psychedelic experience and then let go of the fear of death and then lived a better life, there has to be some very mind-specific to that mind thing that that did. And I think that people often interpret... And, and I don't really, I don't know how deep we can go into this, and I don't know if I want to go too deep because it feels, I, I don't, I don't, I feel like I don't know much about what I'm about to say, but, so I've always been like, for example, you know, like an atheist, Um, I've always been kind of anti-religion, but since becoming a Popperian, I have begun to take very seriously religious traditions and what knowledge they might actually contain and re- actually helping people. Because, you know, you do get atheists who are confronted with this thing, of this question of, well okay, if it's so meaningless and bullshit, then why is it actually helping me with this problem? You know, a, a religious person might say to an atheist. Uh, it's because it has to contain some kind of knowledge, but I think that the way that people explicitly interpret these things, like, oh, it's because it's God who is helping me with that, I think there's some underlying idea that is not being expressed in language, so in other words, an explicit idea, that is actually the thing that's helping them, more so than that explicit idea of it being god or whatever it might be
0: but essentially it is a form of death denial that's what gives them the relief oh i'm consciousness is going to outlive my body so it's all right well
1: but again so my question i guess
0: is i would say it's it's rational to fear dying is it rational to want to be irrationally swayed of uh something like that to to dampen your pain or or fear. Or...
1: So I I think that maybe it's just better to think of it it being rational to have death in your mind as a factor that that plays a role rather than like fear it or whatever it might be. It's just that death is a thing. So I have to, you know, it, it it's there in my mind like I know I have some kind of timeline here. And actually, we yeah, have one thing i wanna wanna say and definitely relates to the kobe thing um and death in general and and death denial in that my parents were were actually visiting me uh the the day that that Kobe died, and um I was talking to them about how I had actually recently uh seen my my grandmother, who's now ninety two and it was like you know having this conversation with them, and it was like. I do not really know if that may, maybe was the last time I, I'm going to see her or whatever. But then, I, you know, it, it immediately occurred to me where I was like, damn, you know what? It's actually like that with anybody, everybody. Like, every, it could be the last time we ever do a podcast. God, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, too, man. Oh, God, this has been a whole <laughs> fucking nightmare. No, no, no. Um, but uh, <laughs> if you die and I don't have to do this podcast anymore, God, that would be amazing. No. Um, but... It, but it was really kind of incredible too, because I we we talked about that and, and I made that point, and that had to have been within the hour of Kobe dying. And both my parents and I were huge fans of Kobe.
0: Yeah. And but but there is something too that way of thinking that I think it's a stoicist technique actually to think about maybe not death uh, specifically, but, but imagine horrible things that could happen to you, uh, every day. And then you get extremely grateful for what you already have. You, you, you shine a light on how lucky you are not to be in those horrible situations. And I, even though I think that we can get to a place where, yeah, where death is not an issue anymore. I do think we can leverage it as a tool to, to think like you just said there that, Okay, this might be the last time I ever talk to Charlie. I'm gonna be really cherishing it. I'm gonna listen to everything you have to say and not think ah, I can, I can talk to him next time, or I'll listen better next time because there, w- w- sooner or later, there won't be a next time. Presumably, yeah. So, um, I do think we can use it. Uh, we might as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but and but that's the thing. I think there's something just. It's kind of hard to grasp. Like like the death denial goes deep, is what I'm saying. Like. Um yeah. Like until something like a, uh, you know, somebody who you really admire or something uh dies young or whatever it might be, it's it's kind it, like those moments shake us out of it, you know, ever so slightly. But yeah, how to maintain that sense of preciousness of each moment does sound like a uh practice worth cultivating and that's actually a pretty damn good segue to our next topic. So,
0: yes. And our next topic is meditation and so i I just want to give a preamble here with a um um, a quibble of mine yeah which is i i don't like the word meditation (laughs) i actually i loathe it at this point because to me it's so uh it's so much associated with it's become such a Uh, craze right now. It's like in popular culture to meditate. It's a great stress reduction tool and it's kind of hip and in vogue to meditate. And it's, it's, and there, to me, there are a lot of coercive memes along with that on how long you should do it and how you have to do it every day. And we'll get into that. But, but I prefer personally, uh, the words introspection or contemplation. For the same practices, because to me, they carry more weight and they are they are not as shallow uh, and exploited as the word meditation. But that's just me.
1: Uh, okay. (laughs) I mean, what don't can I just push back on that and say, why are you so? um, No, you know, because us Popperians, don't we make a, a fuss about words really not being that important? Um, in some sense, oh, yeah, anyway. we do.
0: But in this case, in, in this case, it just is. We should not talk about meditation.
1: <laughs> All right. Because you said so. Okay. No, no, I, I get it. Uh-huh.
0: I, I know it's not. I know it doesn't really matter. But, uh, but it does matter in the sense of w- w- what it uh, invokes in people's minds when they hear it. when they hear it.
1: I mean, you don't want to give the bad interpretation so much sway that you say, okay, let's drop the word entirely. Like, why don't we just kind of rehabilitate the word? Um, that's what Sam Harris has tried to do with the word spirituality, for example. And I know that, you know, he's gotten flack for for trying to rehabilitate the word, but I, I'm not actually sure I at all uh, am on board with your your quibble about that word, but uh, feel free to, to quibble away.
0: And I'm gonna stop the recording right now, so that's cool. <laughs> All right, um, <laughs> but uh, no, no, yeah. no. So, 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 how? Let's let's start. How how do you currently view meditation? Because both uh, both you and I have had oscillating views on this, and I'm I'm not sure where you are right now. So, let me know.
1: So, just a couple caveats first. First, being. Um, I I don't meditate really much at all, um, although I have been through phases of meditating. I There was a time when I was actually meditating for two hours a day. Not a meditation expert. Um, I don't really meditate much anymore, but uh, I thought it would be fun to do an episode on the topic because I do still feel like I have a lot of, I don't know, feedback and, and conjectures and speculation about uh, what's actually going on with meditation, which I do feel like a lot of my ideas about the topic are... Uncommon. I mean, Deutschenism is uncommon, but I feel like I'm also fringe Deutchian and kind of the ideas I have about this as well. But yeah, uh, so just, just those caveats to have in mind. And I – like if you wanted to ask or if somebody was asking, why don't I meditate? You know, it, it's, it's this weird kind of ambiguous answer. I don't really have a good answer for that, like why I don't meditate. But I mean I could tell you that I, when I was doing the two-hour-a-day thing and Nobody then I stopped – But when I was doing the two hour thing, hour hour a day thing and I stopped, I stopped actually because it was after reading The Beginning of Infinity and getting it and then having this entire shift in epistemology and then not knowing what to make of meditation after that. And I just thought that um, the intellectual journey that was opened up by David Deutsch's content was just more interesting to me than continuing my meditation practice until I was able to reformulated in a way that that was you know compatible with my my new epistemology because once the epistemology shifts so many things shift um and and that was uh, i won't say immediately clear to me but but pretty quickly it became clear to me that there were a ton of things that i was really worked up about about life in the world that were false and then I changed my mind about those. And maybe that's another conversation for another day, exactly what those are, because that's, like I said, a lot of those are not about meditation. Okay, so my basic, again, very speculative idea about what's happening with meditation is that, well, first of all, a lot of the language used around it is is murky and not very clear. And I think that there is a a job of speaking clearly to do with meditation practitioners that is yet to be sort of accessed, and that said, I think that uh, meme theory, again, a thing that is not very well subscribed to and understood, I think plays some role in what's actually happening with meditation. Meme maintenance, as it were, is the thing that meditation is doing.
0: So what do you mean by that? Um, Yeah, so
1: memes are, you know, behaviors with corresponding ideas, right? And so meditation is like I know, would turn
0: that around. Okay. I I I just had that's a quibble I have with how you talk about it. I think okay. it's it's always the replicate the replication is the idea that leads to the behavior. I think it's wrong to to say the say it the other way around. It's still ideas that we're talking about. The behavior is is a consequence of the idea, not the other way around. So
1: but the thing to keep in mind here is that there are two competitive niches for the means memes to evolve under namely the mind space right out where where they you know if they um if they get taken on board critically or that they're an idea in our head but all, but then the behavior is is another area where they have to compete for and i think that that is the critical one because they don't become memes that they don't spread and then it won't spread if they don't become some kind of behavior like nobody will know that you're that you have a meme if you never do anything
0: about it absolutely but but just strictly speaking. The idea has to come first, even if it competes for behavior. So I I don't think it's correct to call the meme a behavior with a corresponding idea. But I I might just be be uh, nitpicking here. Well,
1: no, I mean this is. uh, I think meme theory is still being developed, and um, uh, I I think that that's a a quibble worth quibbling over.
0: Yeah, Yeah, because I could imitate. I could. I could do a behavior that I see, and just imitate it without replicating the actual meme, which is the idea. And the behavior you need the understanding of what the behavior is good for for it to be the meme replicating
1: no I I definitely I definitely would disagree with that I think you could definitely especially with the anti-rational memes you could have no idea what it's good for and do it anyway and and, you know it's a fully subconscious thing that you just end up okay but then
0: you haven't replicated the meme
1: well, wait. So, our, I, I want to make sure we're we're staying on the topic of meditation, and then we can maybe get into memes a little bit, like, or at least I yeah. want to make sure that we're sure, connecting sure. what we're saying with with meditation a little bit.
0: But you said meme maintenance there, right? 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 What do you mean okay. by that?
1: Right? 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 Okay. Okay. So, meme maintenance. Um, and again, coming back to my contention about the behavior thing, and actually, let, let's just let's just leave it at the ideas. I I, I agree with it, at least for for this discussion, or at least this this level of what I'm trying to say. So for me maintenance you will note rather than discover that there is an idea in your head and then enact it right you just notice that there's an idea in your head and you just notice it that that's all you really do and so instead you know so what i mean by me maintenance is instead of you like just basically being more thoughtful about what comes to your mind and then what you enact as a result and that sense of thoughtfulness seems like a kind of form of maintenance on on your own thinking and behavior to be able to take a step back and not feel like you are there's that phrase identify with which i am actually at currently sort of thinking is not the best way of saying it but let's maybe we could drop that for now but but, (laughs) this is like a big discussion dude because there's so many so much jargon that the that sam harris and meditation practitioners use that i think that is is worth kind of translating at least for me in in sort of deutsche terms but anyway just to uh, focus there i did that meme maintenance thing make sense
0: um that that's a no <laughs> yeah no it wasn't totally clear to me but 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 that could be a, a function of me but so yeah you're saying that that instead of letting uh, each impulse manifest into a behavior during meditation, what you're doing is you're doing this meme maintenance by you're just sitting and and looking at uh, the ideas as they are without without giving in to them. Or actually,
1: let me let me correct myself in real time, I, and I think it's a worthy correction. So I d- yeah. let me let me actually totally retract that and say it's not meme maintenance. Me maintenance would actually be the thing that comes after what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is more so like. Um, I don't know, opening the hood of the car and, you know, getting out the s- screwdriver or whatever, but not, but just having that capacity to have the hood of the car of your mind or whatever and then, and then have the screwdriver handy. Meditation, I think, can help you be in that position to do the maintenance. Whereas normally we kind of just, it's almost like we're carried by our thoughts and, uh, reactive behaviors and stuff. Wherein with meditation, uh, you can get a critical distance from that and then get a, have a better position of doing the maintenance, which is actually more uh, of a kind of hands-on thing, whereas meditation is kind of this hands-off thing, as it were.
0: Yeah, okay. So, uh, me, me maintenance, you mean rather, to, to, you get a better grip of your current situation and you can see where you're going wrong, and then you can work on correcting that after. Like you get more clarity around where your thinking might be more automatic rather than creative and generative. And it's more I guess reactive mean, and. and Meme maintenance
1: I, is like error correction with your behavior, is what I would say. If I were to boil it down into a really simple thing, it is doing conjectures and criticisms in your head about what actually is the right thing to do. I mean, that's that, you could say that's morality, but, um, and I, and I think it is. But yeah, I, I, I guess <laughs> morality is actually mean maintenance, but uh
0: but but that comes after the practice, you said.
1: Yeah, I mean so Popper said, you know, that when we are error correcting, for example or whatever, that that what we do is what we're letting our or what we're doing is letting our ideas die in their place. And I I think that to to allow that to happen uh, more successfully you need some kind of critical distance from your ideas rather than as soon as an idea pops in your head that's you and you have to enact it like that is not a, a sustainable yeah. way of, of living like you have to be thoughtful
0: all right folks time for the fun stuff so if you really enjoy what i'm doing here there is a way to support the podcast you can go over to kofi.com slash do explain. That is ko-fi.com slash do explain. And you can make a one-time donation or even a monthly donation if that's the kind of person you feel like being this year. Maybe you should ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And then surely Jesus would donate to do explain. Another way you can help me out is to go over to iTunes and write me a five-star review. That would also be very helpful. All right. Thank you very much. Let's get back to enjoying the show. Let me contrast, not that I disagree with what you said, but I'll just paint my picture of how I'm thinking about meditation right now. Mm -hmm. So I think in general, there's something to be said for meditation as as a tool. I used to believe that it was somehow a higher state, like it was more important. If you could just sit and meditate in a cave and be fully present, that would trump any other thing you can do in the world. Like for some reason, it was the end all be all in in my head. And I feel like that's how it's taught in some circles. Because the idea behind that seemed to be, there's something inherently pleasant with, with just being conscious. Like it's, it's, uh, it's joyous inherently. And now I I heard David on Sam's first uh, podcast episode with Sam say that maybe meditation... No, actually, it's the it was second, the second one. one, yeah. Irrelevant, but it's the second <laughs> one. But they were talking about what meditation might be. And Sam, using k- kind of different terminology, said it's a problem-free state. Whereas David saw it more as there's no such thing as a problem-free state following Popper. Rather, it seems like you are unconsciously solving problems... Uh, by, by clearing your conscious mind space and then the joy from doing so effectively would permeate up. And um, I think that's a deeper explanation because it explains one step further rather than consciousness just feels good, full stop. It says, no, the reason you feel good uh, just being present is because you're actually uh, solving problems and all levels of consciousness, unconsciousness. Inexplicit, explicit ideas are working uh, with each other in mind in a way uh, that that produces the joy, if joy is our primary function as minds. And I think that's a better explanation. So, I yeah, that's what I think meditation is. I think on the one hand, it's like you say, you are taking a step back and more clearly seeing where your thoughts are generated somewhat mechanically by hang-ups, and it's more automatic. And as you say, oftentimes we just let that drive behavior. And that's not a human way to uh, to make choices. And so it's a way to step back and, and, and free up creative capacity. And oftentimes people say that when they meditate and they get into deep meditation, they have the most creative thoughts they've ever had. So that that's also a clear sign to me that 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 theory is better, mm-hmm. that you're actually loosening up some knots somehow Um That we're keeping you stuck creatively Mm -hmm. and then you can solve problems better. So I do think it's useful. But my problems with it, how it's taught often is that this usefulness comes with a lot of coercive memes. Uh, A few of them being, for instance, that you have to meditate every day and you have to set the clock for a certain amount of time. Now, for some people, maybe that works good and they love doing that and that actually helps them. For a person like me, I think I always feel coerced, it feels forced. And sometimes I might actually be already in a creative problem-solving state and a free free state of mind where I don't feel like I I would be better off sitting down and meditating. Uh, and that I would rather follow these train of t- thought that's popping up in my head like it's not a coercive thing it's not a hang-up thing I'm just genuinely excited to think about that thing and I think that's often neglected uh, that meditation should help you think better not devalue thinking right uh, overall and say that meditation is somehow a, a better use of your time generally I don't believe that at all so I, I, I want to end on a quote by Alan Watts, I think, or rather something he talked about. He said that he's more, if you look at a cat, a cat can sit sometimes and stare just out into space, do nothing, uh, don't move. And then all of a sudden it gets bored with that and it, it, it walks away. Uh, now I don't believe a cat is creative or conscious even, but th- there's something to that. Like you, you, I would rather meditate when I feel like meditating. And when I don't, I stop. I don't care about what the timer said or if I had done my two hours today or, um, yeah, I'd rather do something else. I think the fun criterion wins uh, and and you should keep that in mind.
1: <laughs> oh, God, did you just say cats are unconscious? We're, we're going to have to have a talk about that, my friend. No, no, I mean, we, we agree on that. Yeah, but, that's um, a different episode. That is a yes. different episode. Um, that's a cliffhanger. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so the thing, so definitely clear it seems that that the subconscious uh, mind is is somehow being kind of uh, treaded upon or, you know, it's being highlighted with this meditation practice or, you know, that, that uh, you know, I know Sam Harris says a thing like, when you notice a thought, where did it come from? And then when it goes away, where did it go? Right? And you know, well, our subconscious. (laughs) Um, and our, the, the thing about our subconscious is, is that it is a blind spot, you know, so we have blind spots and, you know, we're, our fallibility is itself a kind of generalized blind spot component of, uh, our capacity to know things and all that and, uh, or come to know things. And, uh, I I assume that most of our listeners have read Chapter 15 of The Beginning of Infinity, The Evolution of Culture, where David talks about rational and anti-rational memes, and you've talked about it on, I think we have as well, um, but you have with other guests mentioned it on uh, the podcast. But, so anti-rational memes, right, they need ways of suppressing criticism. Um, and I think that a really good... Place to hide, if you're a meme, to suppress, suppress criticism is one's subconscious. So there, mm. it has to be, I think, that these anti-rational memes mostly hide in our subconscious. And so when we're doing this meditation thing, we're noticing the things that are popping out of our subconscious and, you know, I think that there are experiences that people have that are very negative with meditation where they're kind of like, they, they actually get really uncomfortable in a meditation thing because of it's almost like they're realizing it may not be phrased in this way, but I kind of think what's going on there is how negative the ideas are that are coming out of the subconscious. They're, they're sort of implicitly realizing that. And, and then it's like, okay, I don't want to meditate anymore. And, uh, you know, these negative ideas, I mean things like self-deprecating ideas, things that would say that you need to suppress a thing that you really want in order to get that thing that social reality says you should get or whatever, so you should people please, whatever it might be. So those are memes, right? But they are – they really exploit that blind spot of our subconscious, I think. and And this gets back to another thing that I have talked about before where I think I mentioned something like I don't think that anybody really does act against their better knowledge – but um, I, I had this experience of the other day where um, this uh, friend of mine uh, asked if uh, she wanted or she, it was okay if she could walk her dog with me walking my dog. And I said yes, but I also like noticed this, oh, I kind of want to be alone type feeling, but I, I really kind of just pushed that to the side. And I really kind of went all people-pleasy about it. And it turned out to be actually a kind of not the, not the best walk in the world with with my daughter because I, I really like I was kind of like annoyed <laughs> with her being around a little bit and I was like damn I really should have kind of really listened to that that part of me that was saying I wanted to do it alone and so you could say there that I was acting against my better knowledge and I I, I don't I'm not going to quibble that much with that because I think there's a sense in which that was that's true but clearly I didn't have the knowledge that it would require for me to take more seriously the idea and listen to it more the idea of me actually being like, you know what, I want to, I want to do this alone, and I think you know something like meditation, so mindfulness, and again, I think it's pretty much analogous to thoughtfulness. It it seems pretty straightforward that something like being more thoughtful will help one be more sensitive to not, you know, suppressing what it is that you really want and and, and all that, and 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 so I yeah I think that meditation, and I've done a video on this, which I called critical memefulness, but basically I was I was really trying to tie in Sam Harris's teachings and practice with meditation with with my under you know my deutschen kind of perspective on it
0: once again I, I I don't see any any problem with uh okay no let me rephrase that I I see clear potential upsides to being more mindful uh, in general I I do believe the whole idea of if you're completely mindful and in the moment you'll you'll be in flow, like you'll be effortlessly problem-solving, and you'll feel good. So Sam Harris often say, says that if you just pay attention enough to something, it will be interesting, it will be joyous, whatever it is. And I, I do think that's the case. Now, I do think it's hard for most people to get to a point where, first of all, I'm not sure it's better to learn to find anything interesting, and hence don't, don't really have any preferences over just becoming a little more mindful but still trying to follow your 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 preferences that you have because we do differentiate between different things. I like certain things, I don't like certain other things and I I kind of want to keep it that way. But it's um I think it has several distinct uses also. I think maybe it's it's stemming from this this uh uh main benefit of of just being more aware of things but one thing is, I think it equalizes experience. In yeah, you can do things. You you can ignore bodily sensations that are unpleasant, for instance, or negative emotions. They don't they don't have to drive you and affect you as much, which I think is a very good thing to be able to think and and step back once again and and see what is the most rational thing to do in this moment, which includes taking into consideration uh, your subconscious. Uh, yeah, like emotion sensations that come up like the one right. during your walk there but I don't think automatically being more mindful without having more understanding of for instance that an emotion or a feeling of sensation is also an idea, it's also some information uh, telling you that what you're consciously thinking of doing right now is in conflict with something else you believe and unless you know that you can be as mindful as, as anyone and you can still Make the wrong decision. Yeah. So you still have to have the right conceptual framework, the the, the correct framing of it for it to work. And I, I could see um, situations where it would actually make you feel worse, where you you get more and more aware of how much negative emotion and and, and thinking you do in a normal day, and that can overwhelm you rather than. Uh, help you, so I think th- th- that should also be taken into consideration.
1: Okay, so that last thing is is an interesting one, and I I've definitely had this experience where I have been like, okay, the the main project I want to do is is solve my hangups, and then I realize how hanguppy I am, and then I use the hangup of punishing myself for being hanguppy. <laughs> yeah. that. you know. So I think that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that negative feedback loop is actually what's happening in that situation where you actually realize, I like, I don't I don't think that that yeah like you need so you need the alternative, right, so like for me, in that situation where it's like, do I take this person with me to to walk the dogs like the thing is is so and 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 to clarify that, am I acting against my better knowledge thing? I think what people tend to mean when they say acting against their better knowledge is more something more like conflict suppression than not fully knowing and it it could be a a, maybe a range of things but like what was happening there was I had both ideas you know I had the idea yes have her come along and then also I had the idea but it was quieter right it was like quieter in my mind but the idea was oh no I want to be alone it would be nicer to be alone the issue there was that the better idea was quieter like one shouldn't be really per se quieter than the other they should all be taken seriously so, and let, maybe we can transition into a, a brief overview of the whole the self thing and what's happening when the self gets disintegrated with meditation. But, um, I was going to say that, that what, what I think might be happening with this, the, the self thing where, um, it, you, you can have this experience as Sam off, Sam Harris often says, you know, it's like there's this experience to be had where you, you kind of, are able to just purely notice what consciousness is like and not as he might say something like identify with the thoughts and you're really kind of just the space for the thoughts rather than the thoughts themselves um at least on how you're using your your intellectual latch on (laughs) function or whatever that you're able to just kind of like let go and then you experience like the world in a way where you're not like this self in the world it's just like there's just the world And I think that this must be some form of taking all of our ideas seriously in our mind. Um, and I, but, and just to say as a caveat, like I, I agree with you that there are ways of coming at this practice that are definitely coercive. Like for example, and we've talked about this before where, and, and Sam also mentions in his, in his chapter, Guru's death and other drugs, I think is the name of the chapter in waking up his book, which is about meditation. And, uh, he talks about how there were gurus who basically used the whole "let go of yourself and, and desires" thing to basically coerce those people, and and that's very like that's that's pretty plausible. Like the whole idea of like just let go or whatever is says the rapist, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> and it's, so-
0: but but, it's, but but what people miss there, most people would agree with you there that that's bad. But I would say then that it's equally bad to to do that to yourself and of course yourself to sit maybe on the pillow 1 hour every morning and night and that's a, i mean there's an opportunity cost there and you might not even get that much out of it some people do some people don't and the the, the claim that it's universally good uh, that it's inherently good always uh independent pretty much of your problem situation or at least that's how i feel it's presented sometimes that i think is problematic um do what you want, and and sometimes I guess that people might not be aware of how useful it would be for them, and they kind of have to force themselves to try it to even see if there's something to it. Now, there's something to be said for that, but if you get to a point where you feel more stressed about not having meditated today than you feel good about actually meditating, then then I think it's 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 uh, then you're confused. About yeah. why you're doing it and what what the purpose is.
1: So I, I, I just think that – or sorry, let me just say that I, I think that phrase taking ideas seriously, which as far as I know is, is popper in Deutsch, I, I really think that that is actually a critical kind of uh, phrase in, in this meditation thing because um, – in, in the situations that we're describing where it actually can be used as coercion, kind of letting go of your desires and stuff that is definitely not taking your ideas seriously. Right. And meditation practitioners. And I think even Alan Watts said something like, you know, once you're trying, when, once you're sitting down and trying to meditate, you're doing it wrong. Right. Because the point is to actually yeah. sort of let go of, <laughs> and I, cause I, cause I think what, what's happening with that trying to meditate is a sort of willpower coercy type thing. And what's actually being said there, or you know what's trying to be pointed at and embraced is this kind of greater expansion of just accepting the way your consciousness is in a way that isn't suppressing parts of your consciousness or ideas and stuff, but it is actually encompassing them and thus taking those ideas seriously and and not privileging other one some ideas over others. Like I need to meditate correctly, or or um, or something like that. Which, by the way, not to say that there isn't, you know, as we're saying right now, there are better and worse ways of of doing this. Yeah. But that the way that you, that thought can be framed, am I doing it right or not, could be a, a part of the problem too. It, in during the practice, so it says. So the meditation practitioners make a big fuss, or tend to make a big fuss about actually sitting down and doing the practice, but it does seem like you could probably not have to sit down and do this thing to actually really get good at it. Like, you could just be super good at kind of having these, like, f- flashes of mindfulness no matter what you're doing. And this is, you know, it's tend to be... It is said that you could kind of do it at any time, although harder at some times than others, but I think it's often, like, advised that you should uh, sit down and and really kind of do the concentrating thing. But yeah, I, I don't know. Do you Do you think that like that's really necessary or do you think we can actually really go all the way, I don't know, to do all the things that the meditation practitioners say that are that are true and good and helpful uh, without ever actually sitting down? Do you have any intuition on that?
0: Yeah, it's a good question and it's going to take me to some other quibbles I have and I've used quibbles now 84 <laughs> times this podcast and I've never said it once in my life before this podcast, so that's cool. But, Welcome yeah. to philosophy. So, <laughs> I do think it's possible, but I think it's predicated on an insight. And I I, I want to tie this into a story of something I uh, that made this very clear for me the other day, which was I was going to get an x-ray for my neck, which is one of my many lovely injuries. And I went there in the afternoon just thinking that I would sit in a chair, get something on my neck and, and do a normal x-ray, right? But then when I got there, the lady told me to, yeah, you need to to take off all your clothes, put on this weird, uh, spooky pajama thing, and then come into this room and take off all your your silver and uh, metal that you have on or or something. I was like, what? What is this? And then, apparently, I was supposed to do an MRI, which, for people who don't know, is a big, clunky thing, which is basically a hole. You lay on a little... Brits? Is that what it's called in English? I don't know what it's called. Uh, You lay on a thing and then you just get, <laughs> you just get shoveled into this tight little confined space, and then once you're in there, uh, it makes really loud noises uh, for a long time, so it's not a pleasant thing, and I'm claustrophobic, I hate confined spaces, so when I was sh- shuffled in there, I had, you know, the feelings of panic, and uh, things that I usually get when I'm in a confined space. And it's not rational. I'm aware of this. But for some reason, my unconscious thinks uh, this this warrants a fight or flight response. So it was very unpleasant. But at the same time, I knew I was there for a good reason. And I really battled with it when I was in there. On the one hand, with the the emotion, meditation helped me Uh, be able to deal with the panicky feeling and not enact it because it told me you got to get out of here you got to get out of here you know those things but then i i i I thought to myself okay i'm a deutschian right and i'm (laughs) always espousing the the weight and the value of good explanations if i believe something i have to have a good or believe it's it's not the right world but if i think something i have to have a good explanation it needs to have a good foundation no i (laughs) know i meant no i meant rather not that but but yeah that (laughs) i realized that okay it's not rational to be afraid right now so i do have the emotion and meditation helped me calm down but the thing that got me to really settle down was i have no good explanation for why i would get stuck in here or why i would be (laughs) in danger The best explanation I had was it's probably way way too expensive for them to leave me in here. Like (laughs) I'm going to get out of here in 20 minutes or so. And so that actually meditation helped me stay with the feeling. But I needed a better explanation to get rid of the feeling in the first place. Because what causes the emotions are always bad ideas, right? And I don't think that meditation by itself necessarily gets rid of bad ideas. You can be the best meditator in the world world and still be claustrophobic as shit when you get in that situation um so, wait, and i stop. know that sam harris dude, stresses the same point
1: Did just, just sorry real quick that uh you know imagine i imagine the doctor is kind of watching your mri results and stuff and it's like sir take a look at this he's <laughs> deprogramming from the matrix he's figuring everything out oh shut it down <laughs> shut it down <laughs> <laughs> okay so go ahead go ahead sorry i bet I that's exactly that. what happened yeah yeah
0: no but 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 even even you can always interject with humor or a good diss that's fine <laughs> uh but so yeah even sam harris stresses this point that if you're if you want to be good at public speaking meditation is not going to get you there uh it will help you deal with the anxiety you feel but to get rid of the anxiety you have to cognitively rephrase how you view the situation by exposure or by 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 yeah cognitive work so um yeah so i i do think to get back to your question is it possible to to get the same insights without formal practice of sitting down with a timer i think it is and i think that because sam stresses how the central insight to meditation as far as he's concerned is seeing through the self yeah. that the self is an illusion and to clarify here he means the the representation you have of yourself consciously so he's not talking about the person and as Deutschians we usually refer to the I to to refer to the whole mind including the unconscious but I do think that you can understand cognitively and have the same insight that okay I can't be a static thing because what I am is a certain problem situation at a certain time and my ideas and my problems, they evolve. So there's nothing that's uh, a constant except for maybe the creative capacity then. You can talk about it like that or consciousness, if you will. But um, yeah, so I, I do think that's possible. And I'm not sure why, for instance, the experience of seeing through the self that he talks about and that you mentioned, to, to feel this expansion and this complete... There's no center to consciousness. There's just consciousness and its contents. And I'm not sure why that is more effective uh, to solve suffering and bad hang-up loops and, and uh, yeah, being stuck in, in anti-rational thinking better than just realizing cognitively that it can't logically be the case, because of all my explanatory theories, that I'm a static thing in the center here. I know that not to be the case. And so... I would say that in my own life, at least, when I end up in situations where I feel bad, I know that I'm thinking irrationally and I can take a step back and look at it. But I don't think I need to feel selfless as a conscious way of experiencing the world to get that same benefit that he espouses comes from that experience. Do you see what I mean?
1: Well, yeah. And I mean, there's, there's a bit of a paradox here with this stuff. Um, because anyway, at least from what it seems to me at this moment, because the, the contention is that to, to realize that the so called self is an illusion or, um, and all that, uh, is to actually realize that things as they are, even now, when it seems like there, that there, there is a self or that there's a center to consciousness, that is itself just actually not really the way things are in your mind, and so it's almost like, well, you got to get to see it. And it's like, well, if they're already that way, why would I need to get to see it? You know, so so there's there's a way of uninhibiting you seeing the thing that was there all along, right? I, I think that you know, and as Deutschians, this is maybe more intuitive to us, but it's worth stressing because you know, Sam Harris does make this big fuss about how most people's conception of what it means to be a self is a kind of fixed thing. But as Deutschians, we, I think we recognize that what we are in terms of fixed things are actually fixed things in flux, namely creativity programs, you know? So the fact that we can have a state like what Sam Harris talks about or what, you know, I think he, he talks about this guy Douglas Harding who talked about this, uh, the way that he framed this lack of sense of self and opening up to the world was uh, headlessness, uh, that you feel like you just don't have a head, because when we normally go around in our consciousness, there's like this idea that, which seems to make sense in a lot of ways, to to have the idea that we are like this distinct thing, you know, and then there's my arm and all that, and there's that tree over there or whatever. But what 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 they're talking about, these meditation people are talking about, is that you know that all kind of falls away, and then it's just the entire world, and nothing is separate from that. It's like it is all just like this one thing, and that's actually all what your consciousness has given rise to. And it's like, you're that, you're that space, not anything within the space. And, um,
0: yes. And I
1: think that, you know, that, that could be a nice
0: metaphor for, that could be a nice metaphor for being the creative program rather than being a, a set entity.
1: Right. Uh, and that's, I mean, that has, I mean, it it makes so much sense that, you know, of course, a creativity program that could simulate any possible thing, uh, that experience of, of headlessness or, or having no self, of course that's got to be in the repertoire of experiences that we can have and frames of mind that we can have and and yeah I, I do think that it, there's something about uh okay so th- there's that's this is the other thing that I wanted to say about the self and what is a, a, an important I think clarification on what Sam Harris talks about in, in regard to where that you know once you realize the self falls away you can kind of feel better about stuff um not get so caught up in your uh self-referential thought loops or um but i think that you know so this gets back at a thing we mentioned earlier where um i think that one of the most common and nefarious things uh in human history is like basically like negative self-talk um and i think it's referred to as your inner critic and the reason why that's bad is because or one reason is that it's it's purely a function for taking some of your ideas not seriously and privileging others over over the ones that you don't take seriously, it seems like. And so it makes sense that once – And it's, it's – Yeah, author-
0: go ahead. It's Sorry, and it's justificationist. It says that the, the important thing is you, the source, rather than the ideas.
1: Well, I mean, again, if we're talking about negative self-talk, it's actually self-denigrating more than self-authoritating you Know or whatever, I mean, but but I get what you're saying, like you know, it is no, but I mean,
0: of- just to cr- but but criticizing the source even implies that the source is important. Negative self talk only makes sense if if you as a source is an authority or not.
1: Well, but I, I it's that could well be. I think that that yes, okay, that makes sense, but um, the thing the the realize there is, and I think maybe why it's sort of counterintuitive me. To agree with you immediately is that because it is so subconscious, it is such a subconscious form of authoritarianism. So in your mind, right, where you have all these ideas, anything that says those ideas over there do not deserve to be taken seriously at all—that is already authoritarian. And, and again, I, I think that that is—it's not a thing that we often consciously think explicitly or whatever. But you know, it's—it's it's just this thing always going on. I think that of course, you know, once you get rid of that. And, uh, you know, there, of course, as we're kind of saying, many ways of not just meditation, of, of being able to do that, that that would be incredibly liberating. And, and, and it would involve taking your ideas more seriously and not sweeping others to the side. And I think that that's probably what the self, like the damaging thing of the so-called self that meditation people are referring to is that I I think, I don't know, more specifically what's happening there is – that their idea of the self is a kind of, and as Luli might say, it's like a, it's like a ble- meta discussion black hole situation of negative self-talk, yeah. I think. And I, and I think that you and me probably and, and, other Deutschians, I, I think it's still very useful to think of, um, like ourselves and stuff. And of course we have our problems and, and our ideas and those. And again, those should all be taken seriously, but, the, I think yeah. The clarification of what's the bad thing is, is that there are some things that are you in your mind, some things that are not. The things that are purportedly not need to be swept aside, and and dominated or whatever it might be. But letting go of that, that allows you to be more of yourself. Like and and I think that these these people who talk about headlessness, they say that's the real you. The real you is is this just all encompassing experience of the world, and. I think that's just one frame, uh, one, one angle of uh, being able to take all of your ideas seriously.
0: Yes, there is some truth to that and uh, to their claim. Uh, I agree with what you said. But I also think there, people are, are making a mistake here too. So I heard someone say uh, that enlightenment is basically two things. It's uh, s- not stumbling over yourself in the sense of referencing yourself all the time. And then, secondly, not mistake the map for the territory. And so I think that is right. And I think that what people are getting at people like Sam Harris is that when you're headless, when you're, then you are just freely problem solving. because thinking about yourself, like like in the Deutsche worldview, it's about uh, it's about ideas, not people. Exactly. So if you're trying to solve a problem, X, and you're constantly referencing back to how you're performing, what does that say about you, what do people think of me, that is completely irrelevant to the problem at hand, and it's just in the way. Now, where I disagree with how I think it's often framed in the meditation circles is many people seem Now, It's a car alarm outside. Yeah, what the hell is that? You know that. <laughs> yeah, I do. That just adds some spice to this. But so, uh one is that people seem to think that once you, for instance, you through the self and you stop uh, thinking about things consciously, all of a sudden you're experiencing the world as it really is. I think empiricism uh, very often creeps in there as some kind of, okay, now I'm actually seeing. now the veil of Maya is lifted and I can actually experience everything as is. And when I spoke to David about this, he said that even the idea, And it is an idea that you have uh, an open consciousness, free of conscious thoughts. That is undergirded by a interpretational thought. Yes. There is no way to get around that. So the whole idea that there is just an open awareness, that's also an interpretational thought. That is masking as not being a thought. Exactly. It's a false thought also. And then the second thing is, I I don't know if I agree with Sam when he says that, I've heard him say in an episode that it it's different from flow to see through the self, because in flow, you might just not be aware of the self at all, and not aware that you're not aware of the self. Like, usually you feel like you're behind your face, but when you're in flow, you might not feel like that, but you're not aware that you don't feel it. (laughs) <laughs> whereas he says that it's an even better way to be to know, to notice that there's no self in the center of it while you're doing it. And and I don't see why, I guess he would argue that that's better because then you realize that there's no self in the middle that you can worry about and that matters. But I'm not sure I agree with that. If you're con- continually in flow doing interesting problem solving, I don't see why that would be any less valuable no. Uh, yeah. If you have the right conceptual framework, as we have, of what people fundamentally are, not being static and so on.
1: F- frankly, if what I'm, think? It, yeah, if I'm in a state of flow, uh, say I'm doing like a drum solo or something, I want to sort of be the thing that I'm doing, but fully, freely doing it. You know, I, 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 yeah, I don't. I agree with you. I think I don't th- see the value in like doing a drum solo, and then all of a sudden I recognize that. It's not even me doing it. I, I, it's like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, I like, I, I, like, I don't, I don't. Is that even possible? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it has to be possible. I think, but it's like, I imagine if I did, because yeah, it's not like I'm thinking at these self-referential things while I'm doing the drum solo. But, um, you know, it's it's more like what's the next idea? And I really like what you just said there uh, about people and ideas. That, that that distinction is so important, and I, I think even with flow. So like with flow it's just about the ideas you're just purely on the conjecture criticism forefront of your mind when doing something with, that that's fl- flow like you know with drum solo or whatever it is it really is about ideas not people and if meditation is allowing this kind of ideas not people thing to happen within your mind hell i mean that's awesome but but yeah i It's really – I'm just really trying to like imagine what it would be like to have like that headless thing while I'm doing like a drum solo because it seems like it would be maybe disorienting.
0: (laughs) No, I think you have that. I just don't think you're aware of it. What he's talking about is an extra level of meta-awareness where you're you're not thinking, oh, I am headless. Then the I – the feeling about being uh, behind your face is back. But you can – you can notice that. Oh my God, this just open consciousness, and it feels like this is just doing itself, pretty much. I'm not up in my head thinking about the drum solo in any sense, and I see how that can be valuable. But, but,
1: oh, sorry. I, so I, I want to say that's an re- interesting thing because I, I am a drummer, and I have said in the past, and I think I, you know I got this idea from from somebody or whatever, but that you know when you're soloing, you you can't think, is what I used to say but now i fully see soloing as a form of free thinking um that's and that's and free kind of being the critical word there it is an unconstrained form of thinking whereas a lot of what we call thinking is a kind of constrained thing like oh like authorities in our mind or you know that i have to do this test even though i don't want to do it that's real thinking it's like no god no just like do the thing do the thing that you really want and thinking is supernatural with that, or not supernatural, but, but it is very natural with that. And, and yeah, that almost kind of comes back to the Kobe thing where, you know, it's like the, the Mamba mentality or like kind of really persevering, being really ruthless with just, just never giving up and, and all that. Um, I think that the, the issue there is to get clear on what that thing is for you that you really want to do. And then that, you know, that work ethic or whatever you want to call it is just a thing that just clicks into gear. Um, unless there's there's other things going on in your mind, of course, which which often there are.
0: I like that way of putting it. That when he's playing basket when he was playing basketball, it was just free, unabided uh, thinking. Yeah, uh, flow. Like he it, loved not, it. not explicitly, but it's still thinking and it's still problem solving. And that's a cool way to to frame the whole thing. And I don't think most people use thinking in that deeper sense. So, um, yeah, that's cool. And that's a nice way to uh, to tie a bow on the discussion there.
1: I think so, yeah. One other thing I wanted to say is that um, Sam Harris does make a fuss about what most people think of in terms of ourselves. And I think that th- the mistake there isn't this, you know, as he says, you can realize as a matter of experience that that's just not the case. I think that you could just, on the level of ideas, show why essentialism about ourselves is false. And I think that that's another thing that he's getting at. I mean, us Popperians, we, we recognize the folly of essentialism, right? That there is this, I mean, this goes with ideas, but I think it applies here with, you know, our ideas about who we are as well, but um, that there's, you know, no such thing as, the Platonic chair, right? So, what a chair really is when you say the word chair, it's actually appro- approximating this essence of the perfect chair. Or, like when I say what I I really am, it's approximating this essence of me, the perfect thing. But me, the perfect thing, quote unquote, isn't the problem-free perfect thing. It is the problem-solving perfect perfect thing that is that is ongoing, right? It's this ongoing process. It's not this collection of unchanging things it's actually this influx inflow creative entity that we are so that's another (laughs) it's it's essentialism to think of the self in in that in that other in that kind of common way yeah
0: no that's a good point so does it make sense to talk about yeah what because he makes an analogy to the blind spot right with this whole thing with seeing through the self like if you Put a dot on a paper and you you put it out in your periphery. There's a point where you can't see the dot because we have a blind spot in our visual field, and because what what is the claim that you if you see through if you look for the self and you see that you can't find it that that's more in line with how consciousness actually is. That seems to be his claim. Like you said, if people look more closely, they'll see uh, how they're actually experiencing the world. Uh, or, you know, the raw experience kind of. But I'm not sure if that even makes sense because that's just one way of interpreting uh, a very specific way of looking and directing your consciousness in a very specific way to get a certain experience that, like we said before, is interpretational. So I'm not sure if it makes sense to talk about how consciousness actually is in any ultimate sense. That would be the essentialism Uh that you just... yeah.
1: I think in a way. And, and also again, you know, these some of these ideas help some people, they don't help other people. and I I mean, there was a time when I really tried to practice this headlessness thing, but um, and I don't think I ever really got to with that practice a kind of that that state. but there there's something just sort of silly about the whole thing. I mean, it's like it's like, no shit, dude, if you're looking out in the world, you know, you're like this head looking out in the world and you're looking for your head. Well, duh, you're the head. Of course, you're not, like, like, you find a find a mirror, then yeah, you could say, like, you're looking at the mirror and not your head, but there's a reflection of your head there. And the head exists, right? It's not like you're, your head looking out in the world doesn't exist, and I can even, it's almost like when I, so I do this, so I'll try to do this right now. So I'll, I'll like, try to, look for <laughs> I love like thinking like look for your head and like the first thing I do is like look behind me real quick like and look the other way real quick but it's like like there's something sort of silly about that isn't there it's like yeah, you're not gonna find that dude and it's like I don't like what's the the to have this kind of I think that's a straw man it
0: okay <laughs> because I think what you're he the, he Sam clearly states that we're not talking about this in any metaphysical sense when we're talking about looking for your head, what we're talking about is the feeling of having a head.
1: How is that not? That is not uh, anyway. Okay, sure.
0: No, but I mean, I mean, okay, we're not making any, uh, okay. We're not making an ontological claim about whether you actually have a head or not, but what he's saying is in your conscious experience, th- there is the feeling of the head. And if you look for, uh, look for that head, in your experience, you can you can f- get this sensation where, well, first of all, you have to realize logically that the sensation of your face, your head, is in consciousness, not the other way around. And this is something that I think is very interesting to ponder. I have the very strong sensation of, here's my head. I often feel it because I have headaches and shit, so it's extra reified for me, perhaps. And consciousness is somehow in my head. My thinking is in my head. But it's the other way around. Consciousness is where the feeling right, of your right, head right, and right, your right. thoughts right, right show up. So that yes. can that can make for a cool phenomenological yeah, phenom- okay. log- no, phenom- no, no. experience. Yeah, I, I
1: yeah, I I, um, I can sympathize with that way of saying it. I, I guess yeah. And and one thing I remember when I was really into this stuff, I, I remember like looking up at the stars. And you know, I I've always kind of really liked looking up at the stars, and and that feeling that I get when I do. But then I was like, oh wow, you know what? The, the, the thing isn't just that there are those stars out there and that they're beautiful. What's actually way more amazing is that there is this experience of doing that and I'm it. It's yeah. like, holy crap. Like I, yeah. you know, it, the world is, is lit up in my pitch black skull and, and you know, the stars are, uh, are bright and shining, and I'm, you know, this is this is happening in my head, although there is a thing happening out there, there are stars out there, but this experience of how beautiful the night sky is, that is me, in a way, you know, or that's the culture, cultural kind of value that I'm giving to looking up at the night sky.
0: Yeah, and hopefully we don't have to wait until we're on our deathbed, or our loved ones are on our deathbed, to actually realize this, and appreciate it, and take advantage of it, because it's goddamn amazing. So, um, yeah, Charlie, it's always so much fun talking to you. So uh, I'm really glad we got to do this again. And, uh, yeah, until next time. Yeah, same
1: here, man. Looking forward to it. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.